This morning we are continuing our series on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was Jesus' primary teaching subject. Uh, sometimes Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven, but regardless, Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom. Uh, over 50 times in the Gospels, Jesus mentions the kingdom. At least 15 of his parables are about the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom was not something that was far away for a future time. According to Jesus, the kingdom is near or at hand. It is here and now. Uh, another way of saying it is that the kingdom is in the air. It is inescapable. And in this series, we want to view what happens in our lives through the lens of the kingdom, to choose to trust in the kingdom of God. And there is a passage that illustrates the differences between the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the world. It's in John chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn there. John chapter 18. Um, Jesus is on trial before Pilate, and Jesus and Pilate are having this conversation about kings and kingdoms. Um, and so if you're sitting down at home, uh, go ahead. I'm going to ask you to stand up for the reading of God's word. Again, we are in John chapter 18. I'm going to start by reading uh, verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Well, is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You can go ahead and have a seat. Okay, so as many of you know, I grew up in the great state of Michigan, um, and one of the things I loved about growing up there was the snow. We got a ton of snow. In fact, the year that we moved here, um, the town in Michigan we moved from had over 150 inches of snow, which is a little bit more than what we get here in, in Idaho. As a kid, if you grew up in Michigan with all that snow, there was one thing on your mind, and that one thing was sledding. Sledding. Um, I loved sledding as a kid. Um, in fact, I was one of the lucky few kids um, that had a sledding hill in their backyard. And so I used that hill. It was fast. It was exciting. It was fun. It was dangerous. I was living on the edge. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience, but later on in life, I came back to that sledding hill just to see what it looked like. And it was nothing like I remembered it being. I remembered it being fast and awesome and dangerous and intense. And then I went back and I actually have a picture of it. Uh, this is what my dangerous sledding hill looked like as a kid. Uh, yeah, that looks really dangerous. Did you ever get hurt sledding down that hill? All the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> my guess, my guess is that most of us have a memory like this where uh, you remember something a certain way in your childhood, then you go back and the place hasn't changed, but your perception of it has. It's not the way you expected it to be. Hey, this morning um, on Facebook Live, if you're there, uh, what memory might you have 
where you remember it being one way and then later in life you came back and it is nothing like you remembered it being. Go ahead and put that in the comments this morning. I think that'd be a great conversation to have. Now, you see, the kingdom of God is like my childhood backyard's sledding hill. It's just not what we would expect it to be. The kingdom of God is, is kind of weird, the way the rules work in the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a weird place to be. The rules are different. The kingdom is counterintuitive in all kinds of different ways. It defies our logic. It's backward. It's upside down. If you've ever taken a, a good look at the way Jesus talks about the kingdom in so many ways, it just plain doesn't make sense to us. And so this morning, what we wanted to do is we wanted you to see just the way and the backwardness of the kingdom of God and how it's so different from this kingdom of the world that we all live in. You know, in the conversation from our passage this morning, there are two very different kingdoms going on there. And these two kingdoms, they coexist. Uh, Pilate represents the kingdom of the world. In verse 33, it says that Pilate went back to his palace. And a palace is a place you'd expect a ruler of the world to live. And Jesus says that his kingdom is not of the world. It's a different kingdom. In verse 36, he says, my kingdom is from another place. As followers of Jesus, we live in both. And each day we decide which kingdom to align ourselves with. Even each moment we decide that. And in this conversation between Pilate and Jesus, Pilate is in charge and Jesus is in chains. And they're having a conversation about kingdoms. And Pilate lives by the kingdom of the world and Jesus lives by the kingdom of God. Now, we can practice a little 2020 hindsight between these two kingdoms. Pilate representing the kingdom of the world, Jesus representing the kingdom of God. Which kingdom made a greater impact in the history of the world? Well, how many followers of Pilate are there in the world today? How many? Significant amount. I know a <laughs> yeah, lot. yeah, like none. <laughs> Most people never heard of Pilate. Um, uh, Pilate was a part of the Roman Empire. Well, where is the Roman Empire today? And then contrast that with how many followers of Jesus are there today? There are literally billions around the world. Pilate and Jesus represent two kingdoms that we live in today. One kingdom is temporary. The other kingdom is eternal. And I think a great question for us to ask ourselves in each day, in each moment, which kingdom are we aligning ourselves with? Uh, and so in our passage, we have Pilate and Jesus, and, and they couldn't be more polar opposite in a million different ways. Um, Jesus comes in the name of the kingdom of God, and, and Pilate comes in the name of the kingdom of the world. In our passage, Pilate so perfectly captures the way of the kingdom of the world. Pilate, um, he's this uh, ruler of a Roman province, and Pilate understands something. He understands something that we, frankly, all understand. Power is an effective, incredible tool for getting what we want and getting things done in our lives. Um, power really works. All the things that Pilate does in and around our passage, they're all motivated by power. See, Pilate believes that to rule well 
And to get what he wants, he must flex his political muscles. He must use his power. And it's really interesting in our passage um, how Pilate sets the scene for his conversation with Jesus. If you have your Bible, go, go ahead and open back up to John 18 and take a look at verse uh, 33 a second. Just that one first verse. Just listen to this. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? So Pilate, he's already out and about. He's clearly outside his palace at the time. He could have gone and spoken with Jesus if he wanted to have a conversation. He could have gone to where Jesus was if he wanted to. But instead, Pilate goes back inside the palace and then makes Jesus come to him. And why is it? Why would Pilate do that? It's one thing. Power. It's about power. Because a palace is a representation of power. This is what kind of power I have, Pilate makes the point of. Pilate wanted to show that he had power and that Jesus did not in this moment. And you see, what Pilate does is what everyone living in the kingdom of the world does as well. And by the way, that happens to include uh, all of us, just so you know. If you want to get what you want or you think you need, we believe we have to have power in order to do it. If you want to keep what you have, you must have power, we believe. If you want to create peace in your life, power is the best tool to use to get that done. You know, it's why CEOs of virtually every big company choose the top corner office, right, with all the windows, right? It's because of power. It's why people build these humongous homes. Why? Well, because it's a demonstration of power. It's why our government buildings are built with these giant Roman pillars in stone. Why is that? Because it's a symbol of power. It's why when we get in a disagreement with another person, that our voices slowly raise as the disagreement continues. Why does our voice slowly get louder and louder and louder? And sometimes to a yell, well, power is the reason. It's why sometimes we actually like throw fists at each other because we need to demonstrate our power. Because deep down, all of us believe the best way to get what we want is through it through power. And folks, this is true for all of us. And the kingdom of God, it operates differently. See, the way of the kingdom of God isn't power, it's powerlessness. Jesus represents that in this passage. In this encounter with Pilate, he is on trial, accused of doing something that he didn't do. And in this encounter, he has no real power. And he doesn't use his time with Pilate to get what he wants. He doesn't assert his innocence. He doesn't go after those who falsely accused him. He gives up his life for his enemies. And think about all the different things that Jesus taught, where he said things like, the greatest among you will be your servant. It is better to give than to receive. Give up your life. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. In this encounter with Pilate and in his impending death, Jesus displays what the kingdom of God looks like. 
If the kingdom of the world is about power and using power to get what you want, while the kingdom of God is about powerlessness, and powerlessness is giving for someone else's benefit. Powerlessness is about giving for someone else's benefit. In this encounter with Pilate, Jesus does nothing to stop his own death. He gives up his life for the sake of others. And that, that is the kingdom of God. And so, so Jesus really demonstrates these two options that we can live in our lives. We can, we can enter the kingdom of God or we can maintain this kingdom of the world life that we live. We can, we can go after power if we want to or, or we can pursue this thing called powerlessness. And I'm sure all of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, we really want to live in the kingdom of God. Like that's the place that I want to live. But, but why is it that so often in our lives, we choose power over powerlessness. Again and again and again, we choose the kingdom of the world over the kingdom of heaven. Again and again and again. And folks, it's really just one word. There's one reason for it. And that's fear. Fear. We are afraid that we might just lose something if we are powerless. We are afraid that we may lose that opportunity or that friendship or, or that thing. Have you ever seen a helicopter parent on the playground? Because you know exactly what they're doing. It's power, right, to keep that thing, which would be their child, alive, I think. We're afraid that we'll lose our kids, we'll lose our spouse, we might lose ourselves along the way. And we know that power can help us not lose those things. It really helps us curb the fear. You see, it's not even that we're afraid of losing things. We can lose relationships and all kinds of things in our lives, but, but it's actually the feeling of losing things that we really try to avoid. Man, loss hurts deeply, doesn't it? And we'll do all kinds of things to not feel that kind of pain. You see, the key motivating factor for the kingdom of the world is avoiding the pain of loss. We're afraid of the pain of loss. It's true for every single one of us. Empower is an easy tool to use to avoid experiencing that. And you see, what's incredible is that Jesus actually doesn't use this power thing. No, Jesus... Uh in this encounter with Pilate, he didn't power up at all. Uh, he did the exact opposite. Jesus entered the pain and the loss uh, of his arrest, his trial, his death on the cross, and by entering the pain and accepting his death, Jesus overcame them both. Which is weird. It's just weird. You overcome loss and pain by accepting them, that, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> um, the kingdom of God is counterintuitive. It doesn't work how you would think a kingdom would work. Um, I grew up in a family that could water ski, my parents could water ski, my siblings could water ski, but as a kid growing up, um, I never could. It really wasn't until I was about 17 
um, that I kind of figured it out. You see, my problem was I couldn't get out of the water. And getting out of the water is an important step to water ski. Um, and this is how it works. You, you start in the water, you're floating in the water, you're facing the boat, uh, your ski tips are up and the rope is between your skis. I have a picture of what it should look like when you're in the water, something like that. Um, and then at some point you give the thumbs up or you yell punch it or whatever you do to tell the boat to go and then the boat goes and you start to get pulled up by the power of the boat and this is where I would always fail. See the boat was pulling me up and so I just then would pull myself up and fall flat on my face every time. It looks something like this. It was something like that. Now that's not actually me, but that's what I uh, looked like uh, every time. And so, you know, when you face plant like that enough, you eventually quit trying, which is what I did. I kind of just stopped <laughs> trying. And then in my later teen years, someone told me something that I either A, didn't hear before, or B, more likely, didn't understand before, is that the key to getting out of the water is not trying to get out of the water you let the boat pull you out of the water. And so as the boat is pulling you up, don't try to pull yourself up. Let the boat do the work and you just keep your balance. And once I figured that out, I could get out of the water every time. But it's counterintuitive. If you try to pull yourself up out of the water, you will never get out. You have to trust the boat to pull you out. Likewise, the kingdom of God, it's counterintuitive. You don't overcome pain and loss by powering up. You trust that God will pull you through the pain and the loss. The kingdom of God is not like the world we live in. You know, uh, it's a really big idea, I think, this, this kingdom of God and pain and loss and all that. But, but practically, you might be thinking, okay, so like, what does it actually does it look, look like to... To, to live in something like that. Um, well, it's not power. We, we don't power our way into the kingdom. Jesus says, the way into my kingdom is through entering into the fear and loss. You feel the pain that comes with loss. You face your fear. The way into the kingdom is through powerlessness. And, and, and what exactly does that look like? Well, it really looks like at least three things. We've got three things this morning for you. And the first thing, it looks like this. It looks like losing the fight losing the fight. When you and your spouse are at odds and both sides have drawn the battle lines in the sand and you are dug in and you're going to win the fight, living in the kingdom of God looks like being the first to lose that fight, to give in, to lose. It looks like allowing your spouse to win, even if you think you are so right in that situation. It looks like ending your side of the battle and ending it first. It looks like choosing your spouse's needs over your own, regardless of what maybe the truth even sometimes is. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks about this. Um, in the book of Philippians, he speaks about this. Just listen to this a second. This is what Paul says. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, the kingdom of God looks like losing the fight. And that's true on a personal level, as John was talking about, but it's also true on a community level. You know, we live in this reality of uh, what is often called culture wars. 
And there's this debate and fight about a never-ending range of topics, it seems like, whether it's gay marriage or gender identity or abortion or uh, political debates over climate change and immigration. And now we're having a debate over reopening um, with the shutdown. And we take sides over almost anything. That's where we are today. And in the kingdom of the world, we are forced to take sides, to stand up for what we believe in and use power for what we think is right. And it's set up as an us versus them kind of thing. And it doesn't matter which side you're on, because whichever side you're on, it's still an us versus them. And um, we are convinced that the other side is bad them is bad. Uh, they are dangerous. Uh, they are pushing their own agenda for selfish reasons. And we push our agenda for, you know, good reasons, for altruistic <laughs> reasons. Um, the other side is the enemy. Well, what does the kingdom of God look like? It's counterintuitive. In the kingdom of God, the whole us versus them setup is wrong. In the kingdom of God, the setup is us for them. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he said that to a people who had loved ones, who were tortured, who were raped, who were killed by the Romans. And the Romans were the enemies. And Jesus says, be for those people. In the book of uh, Romans, Paul quotes Proverbs 25, which says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And Paul concludes by saying, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we use power to advance biblical values... We are living by the rules of the kingdom of the world, trying to advance godly values in worldly ways doesn't work. If we want to be a part of the kingdom of God, we need to be for our enemies. And what does that look like in our culture wars? Well, I think if nothing else, it can be really simple. How about we start by not assuming that the other side is evil? <laughs> um, maybe those who see things differently from us are actually de decent people. And so maybe we should treat them and look at them as decent people. When talking about the other side, we could be as gracious as possible. Um, how would you want them to talk about you? That's how we should talk about them. And whenever you have a chance to bless someone on the other side, take it. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Look, I'm not saying we abandon our values and just conform, but I'm saying as we stand up for our values, how we do it matters. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of God advances godly values in godly ways. So it looks like giving up the fight. It looks like having an us for them mentality. Uh, and thirdly, it looks like giving up what you think you are owed. 
You, you know those moments, right? There, there's those moments where that person did that thing to us and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that thing that that person did was, it was wrong. And, and perhaps we even think that person knows what they did and they know that it was wrong. It was malicious intent, right? Like it was a wrong thing. And in those moments, the kingdom of the world whispers into our ears, get justice for yourself. Get what you're deserved. File that lawsuit, right? Make them feel the pain that they are deserved, right? Like that's what the world tells us to do. But the, king, the kingdom of God says, no, 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 you, you, you give up what you think you're owed. It, it, it actually looks like forgiveness instead of justice. You know, I, I recently read a book that I think captures this so well. Um, there's this pastor in, in Rwanda. His picture's on the screen. His name is Celestin Musakura, and I'm pretty sure I slaughtered that name. I think you got it right. I'm it's sure the best I could exactly do. You say it. And if you know anything about Rwanda uh, in the 90s, there was this awful genocide that happened there. In 100 days, 800,000 people were murdered. It, it's, it's amazing. It, it's, it's awful. And Celestin Musakura started a reconciliation ministry after the genocide to try to create some peace and reconciliation between the two sides that were um, in the fight. And, and the ministry went really, really well for him. He did great, great ministry. That was until, well, there was a surprise. See, a couple of years later, Celestin would learn that his family would have been murdered in something called a revenge killing. It was something that was really uh, prevalent uh, in the years following the genocide. And it was then that Celestin was faced with a brutal choice. What do I do? Do I hate these people, which is what I actually want to do? Or do I lose and forgive these people? Sometimes in our lives, in these situations, forgiveness is not easy at all. Then a year after all of this happened, Selston would come face to face with uh, his, mur his family's murderer's family. And in that moment, he had to choose, am I going to forgive these people or, or, or am I not going to? And forgiveness was brutal for Selston. It was humiliating. But it was the way of the kingdom of God. And he did it. You know, and that is really an inspiring story of forgiveness. And that's a dramatic story of forgiveness. But forgiveness isn't just for the dramatic. We need forgiveness for the everyday offenses. You know, someone is really rude to you, or somebody says something about you that just isn't true, or somebody isn't honest with you in a business deal. In the everyday, we are wronged. And we will be owed something when we are wronged. And we can choose to collect on it or not. And every time we forgive, one, it's going to hurt. But two, every time we forgive, we live in the way of the kingdom of God. You know, perhaps uh, right now, you've got a conflict on your hands. Maybe it's with your family or your workplace or it could be many, many different things, right? Um, maybe right now, God is asking you to forgive. Maybe, maybe right now you're in this conflict with your family or your friends or whatever it may be, and, and, and you know that those people did the wrong thing and they did it intentionally, like they wanted to hurt you. What if God even today said, no, 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 don't collect on that. Just, just forgive. Just forgive. 
See, living in the kingdom of God, it's actually, it's not for the faint of heart. It's actually a painful place to be sometimes. Yet, Yet at the same time, there's this paradox. It's painful, but it's also when you're there, you're like, man, that is the place I want to be forever. I want to be there all the time. Power and safety. Yeah, that's, that's easy living for us, folks. Powerlessness and forgiveness, that's a little harder, isn't it? But when we find ourselves with two feet planted in the kingdom, friends, there is no better place to be. Yeah, you know, Jesus said he came to offer a different kind of life. Life unlike anything the kingdom of the world can offer. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that phrase, have it to the full, is really just one word in the original Greek. It's paresos, which means abundant. And Jesus is talking about an abundant life. And I really like the message translation of how that captures the thought of what Jesus is talking about here, where it says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. The only way to experience that kind of life, the abundant life, the better life than we can ever dream of, is through faith, faith in Jesus, faith in the kingdom that Jesus preached about, faith in the kingdom that Jesus lived out. The kingdom that continues to impact the world 2,000 years later. There are two competing kingdoms, the kingdom of power and the kingdom of powerlessness, and only one offers abundant life. Which kingdom do you find yourself aligning with? Let's pray. God, we recognize that uh, your kingdom is so full of life and joy, and we long to be in that place, but we recognize that sometimes the cost of living there is steep. It's heavy. And God, when we feel the weight of that, just, God, we ask that you, you bring uh, the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus to mind because it's what, it's what Jesus costed as well. He did the same. And he called us to follow in his footsteps. And sometimes that means bearing a cross. To live in the kingdom of God, sometimes we have to pay that cost. And so God, give us power uh, to to just hold on in those moments, to survive. Give us strength. And God, more than anything else, just give us um, a sense of your presence and a sense that you do have our lives even when we feel like we don't. We pray for that. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if uh, you have your kids nearby, go ahead and gather them together for the blessing. Um, We have a prayer wall here at TFRC, and if you would like us to put a prayer in it, I just would encourage you to send us an email. um, And you can also leave your prayer requests on our website, tfrc.org slash prayer. Um, But you can send those in any way, and we can uh, put them in the wall for you but receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.